You're listening to Resurrection Life Podcast with your hosts, Father Steve Matson and Richard Budd, the podcast of the Church of the Resurrection in Lansing, Michigan. In today's episode, we talk about Roe versus Wade. We hear a reflection on overcoming temptation, and we hear a poem by John James, Silence. Welcome to Resurrection Life Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Resurrection Life Podcast. This is your host, Richard Budd, and with me as always... Father Steve. How are you doing, Father? I'm doing well. How are you and the growing family? Thank the you Budd for family. asking. Yeah. We've had, we just had our fifth, um, Felicity Jane, and yeah. um, she has been um, very easy baby. Oh, thanks you know, be to God. Thanks the only God. problems we have is she likes to sleep uh, during the day and not at night, but yeah, that's they, typical. They, they, yeah, they're upside down. Yeah. You know, it, it's mm-hmm. so I hear. I yeah. don't know, so I, <laughs> uh, but, you know, um, transitions are difficult for everybody, and um, each person in the family deals with it differently. Um, you know, the two year old likes to scream a lot. Um, dad likes to yell more. <laughs> so well, so all... but one of the things that I was, I'm, I'm fascinating by is yours will be the second Felicity in yeah. a short while that or in a small space of time. So I just baptized, uh, Felicity Carey on mm-hmm. Sunday. Uh, and, uh, I love these, uh, these names that are being, uh, Renewed yeah. for a new time. And and I said Sunday at the 8 o'clock Mass, I said, you know, men, there are no virtues. Yeah, I heard that you say <laughs> <laughs> I was like, there's no man, uh, you know, I mean, we have names that mean things, but they're not yeah. directly. No, no, no. Yeah. We, we just, and that's just a challenge to us. Let's, yeah. let's become more virtuous. Yeah, I knew a family when I was in uh, grad school. One daughter was named Patience. The next daughter was named Mercy. They like, just went through all the, these different virtues. Yeah, and and you know, if we become our names, that's wonderful. Oh right? yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm so. gonna become a martyr. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think Richard means uh, kingly or royal or something like that. So I, yeah. would, I wouldn't mind, you know, a little more of that. Well, you are in Christ, <laughs> right? You're in Christ. So, so Father, uh, what have you been reading lately? So it's interesting. I I find that um, obviously there's ongoing just kind of meditations. Uh, in Sinu Yesu uh, is something that I revisit, but not in kind of going right through it. But I've I've uh, a few years ago I read a book by Douglas Murray called um, The Madness of Crowds. Okay. And he recently came out with a new book called The War on the West. And uh, he actually reads the audible. So when you ask if I've been reading, what oh, I've been okay. doing is listening. Yeah, I count to, that. I yeah, count no, that. it is. It is. A, but it's. I think it's. It's a, a book for our times. Uh, I don't agree with Douglas Murray about everything, but he's talking about the the craziness of our time, and it's kind of a compliment to. Uh, I think it's Paul Kangor, uh, Marx and the Devil, or the Devil and Marx. Um, I should know, uh, but just talking about the fact that there is this push to reject the values of the West mm. and to remake something. And, uh, you know, you've heard me talk at various times about woke this and woke that and CRT and all of these things. And I think it's all of a piece that we're, we're using a modern standard 
uh, to critique uh, the founders of this nation and of the West without talking honestly about the valuable things that have been created. Mm -hmm. This idea that the, the dead white males are the source of all evil. And we're dealing, we're wrestling right now uh, on the heels of, um, you know, the, the tragedy in Buffalo uh, of the allegation that white men are dangerous. Uh, Douglas Murray uh, describes himself as, I'm not sure he's a believer, but he's, he's, he's a gay man. I don't think he's in a marriage, uh, a, you know, same-sex marriage. But he's not on the same page with us but he is seeing some of the same problems that I've observed. So, sure. so uh, and you see the roots of Marxism, and uh, the, the book is sobering uh, to see how the evil one, and I would say that, that the evil one is really manifest around issues of uh, the debate about abortion and mm. this, this monstrous idea that for women to be free, they need to have the right to really kill a baby just before little Felicity would come yeah, out. Exactly, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we jump into abortion, it, it struck me when I was studying John Paul II and his um, theology of the body, he starts off the entire theology of the body saying, we need an adequate anthropology to answer the, the, the questions of man uh, in the modern world. And on the one end, you've got really the, the kind of the Marxist um, anthropology that's really kind of seeped into so much uh, of the thought of, of people these days. Well, it began in the, the universities, then it went mm -hmm. into the, to our yeah, schools, but it's this, and it's, now it's the culture. It's this understanding that everything is is an equation of power. So who has power, who doesn't have power, and the, the ones that don't have power have to grasp it from the others. John Paul II's proposal is that we should have an anthropology of gift, Mm -hmm. And so the ones that maybe have more give to those that do have it or that don't have it, if those that don't have it aren't necessarily less in, because they are necessary for those that do have to be able to give gifts. Yeah. And so we need each other. And so there's rather than seeing two sides of, of a culture in war with one another, they're actually in harmony with one another. They need each other. Um, uh, Cardinal George in Chicago uh had, had been known to say when speaking to the rich, uh, the poor need you to, to eat and you need the poor to avoid hell. No, I, I was at a fundraiser when he spoke that. Oh, yeah? Yeah. No, it's true. It's not just, uh, you know, an anecdote that has been made up. Yeah, it's yeah. A, apocryphal. No, it's true. So um, I think as Catholic Christians, we need to, we're kind of swimming in this culture. It can be very easy to float into an understanding, a cultural understanding, an anthropological understanding of this power struggle. And we need to avoid that because that's not really the Christian understanding of, of who we are as people. And we're really meant to be given, given away. Uh, that's what vocation's about, mm -hmm. is, you know, giving yourself away. So anyways, that does lead, I think, as you started to, to direct us into this um this topic of, of Roe versus Wade. Yeah, right. You know, we had this we had this leaked document, which in itself was unprecedented. Um, but 
uh, which, you know... And by the time this comes out, the decision might be... It might already but, uh, be... <laughs> we do, if that's not the case, we invite people to continue to pray because the evil one loves abortion mm-hmm. and loves the, the scapegoating that has been present in our body politic for 50 years. Yeah, I think Cardinal Lorenzo said that abortion was the sacrament of the devil. Well, no, of course it is. Yeah. You know, the, that's why it was so powerful that, that Mary would appear uh, in at Guadalupe, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And just call that community that was, as many other cultures had, sacrifice babies. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because she appeared expecting exactly. Jesus. You know, mm-hmm. the only time a Marian image is Mary, you know, pregnant. Um, but, you know, in, a, in abortion, the, the, the call is, this is my body. In the Eucharist, the call is, you know, this is my body for, for me. And in the Eucharist, this is my body for you. Well, and, and one of the things that has struck me, and I think it, it's not a, a novel insight, is how really irrational the arguments for abortion until nine months mm-hmm. is. I mean, th- there is no... This idea that somehow the mental health of the mother... Uh, have you ever known anyone who had postpartum depression? Mm-hmm. Hello. Yeah. This idea that for the mental health... We, we got we to we take the, the life of the baby because she might be depressed. Well, hello. I mean, there's... there's I, I'm not pretending that I understand all of the hormones and things like that. But this idea that somehow... I don't know if I'm going to be able to, to handle him. You'll be... Let's encourage there. Let's, yeah, say, yeah. let's come alongside. This is a life. When you looked at the child, in, and it's amazing what's happening with the uh, ultrasound images. Oh, I know. How detailed the, they mm-hmm. have become. Oh, yeah, for sure. The lie is that it's just a blob mm-hmm. and that the decision is merely about the woman oh, autonomy yeah. over her body. I was listening to something... It was on uh, Pew, um, the surveys, and mm-hmm. they were they were asking people like, "Do you support um, an abortion ban at six weeks?" And people would say no, and they say, "Okay, would you abortion? Would you support a ban after the heart can be detected?" Well, yeah, and then they would show people, "Well, the heart can be detected at six weeks." There's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of lack of of education about fetal development, where the child is, what is happening, so that a lot of people, once they start to learn what is actually happening in the womb, they'll, they'll actually flip their support. Well, and I, I think if, if, if the decision um, does, in fact, overturn Roe and Casey, which it should mm-hmm. on merits, I mean, yeah. it really should, uh, this idea that we can find this right to abortion in the Constitution is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Let's let's at least leave it. If, if we're not going to rule that it is always wrong to yeah. abort a baby, which we might say, uh, based on our understanding of the human person and the dignity of the the developing fetus and eventually baby, uh, let's at least say that this is a matter in a federal uh, government. Leave it to the states to be able to determine that mm-hmm. and. Uh, I think if if that happens, our body politic after the the reaction, the overreaction, perhaps even God forbid, the, the violence that will ensue, 
we'll actually be able to have conversations again. Yeah. Because every Supreme Court uh, nomination will not be centered on dancing around uh, the abortion question. Mm-hmm. Those who are pro-abortion and those who are pro-life will not have to guard their opinion because this will be a bad precedent overruled. I'm hoping we start to see the return of the pro-life Democrats so we can actually have like healthy debate. No, I I agree with that. I agree with that. Because it's almost like if you're really devoted to the pro-life cause, you've only had one option. That's right. You know, and so let's let's break that open where that's not such a determinative uh, factor of which party you're in and so then we can actually have a conversation about all these other issues yep, um but as you kind of uh started to talk about there as we go back if if this does hold and it returns back to the states um that doesn't mean that the question of abortion in america is over with that's that's exactly right and this has been my a uh, bit of my concern is that people are going to celebrate this as if it's the beginning of the end. Mm-hmm. And really, it's just the end of the beginning. Overturning Roe v. Wade was the beginning of the fight. We've got to um, not only uh, develop and cultivate a culture of life so that abortion can be unthinkable, but we also have to then direct some of our resources that we've been fighting so hard to restrict abortion to supporting mothers and building kind of a culture of life all around childbearing. You know, I'm sure our St. Vincent de Paul Society would love to be able to support mothers more. Um, well, there's there's the new uh, ministry kind of walking together or something. That was, yeah, we're trying at the diocese. We're trying to uh, build up this ministry called Walking with Moms. And that's it. That's and it. we're going to really be um, emphasizing Jenny Ingalls, uh, who is our director of fertility and life ministries and I are really going to be leaning into that this summer and really trying to get parishes, parish teams uh, started uh, to be able to get that ministry going. Because I, I think I think it's absolutely right. And, you know, there's ideologues on on, on, on both sides, right, that, that are uh, not not really caring about the individual. I, there, there's a, there can be a blanket judgment and condemnation of the person that, that has made a decision about an abortion from the, the kind of the, the pro-life perspective. And the other side is it's almost something to celebrate mm-hmm. uh, for those who are so pro-abortion, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, God help them and us that, that we're in a time when we're trumpeting uh, the willing death of one that the Lord has allowed to grow within a, mm-hmm. I mean, a woman. Yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, we, we have to be very clear about our language and very clear about our, you know, the way we speak. Um, because just today I saw an email from Planned Parenthood that said, did you know that six in 10 women that choose abortion are already mothers? And I was like, wait a minute. 10 out of 10 women that choose abortion are already mothers. That's right. That's right. You know, we, 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 uh, there's this effort to kind of like divide mother from child so that these uh, decisions can become more palpable. Um, If the mother is separated kind of um, intellectually in, in the mind from the baby, then it's easier to just talk about her bodily autonomy or whatnot. Well, I, I, think, I think your point about language is, is vital because I think that's, that's one of the challenges of our time is the euphemisms mm-hmm. that are prevalent, right? This is, we, we've talked in past 
maybe not on podcast, but about gender affirming surgery, mm-hmm. which is really mutilation, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And this idea, oh, that sounds good. And we are seduced by the positive spin, right? But it, 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 is, it is absurd. Some have said that this is forced pregnancy, right? Yeah. Forced pregnancy. What, what are we talking about? Are we talking about rape? No, we're not talking about rape. We're talking about forced pregnancy. I don't want to be pregnant. I am pregnant. You're forcing me to be pregnant. Well, no, I'm not forcing you to be pregnant. What I'm saying is, I mean, if, if we were like most Western European nations, most Western nations, we would not have the kind of expansive rights to abortion mm-hmm. that we do. That's a lot of ignorance on the part of Americans. Mm-hmm. This idea that somehow we are, uh, backwards. We are backwards in terms of the, the left. Mm-hmm. No, we're not. We're actually more like the communists. Yeah. Right? Who, yeah, our abortion policy is more like China and North Korea than it is like France and Sweden. Which is, God help us, Lord have mercy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we need to keep praying about that. But, but the language is really important. Uh, so I think one commentator said, uh, forced pregnancy and uh, <laughs> like the fetus will become a, a child or something, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. What you, exactly. <laughs> I mean, not one biology book says that abort. I mean, uh, life happens like later in the pregnancy or at birth. Every every biology book says life begins at conception. You know, you know sometimes they'll they'll talk about seeing Thomas Aquinas talking about uh, quickening and when is it a person a person. Well, are we are we going to say that uh, there's only dignity when we would declare it a baby a person? Mm-hmm. Are they really a person at three weeks in the way we might think about yeah. personhood? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Yeah. They don't even know their name. Well, even this question about viability, like what does it mean to be viable? Because right. I'll tell you oh, right exactly. now. Oh, exactly. We're the most vulnerable after yeah, birth. I tell, right? Yeah, I'll tell you right now, my daughter who is 10 days old today without her mother is not viable. That's right. You know, I mean, and, yeah. uh, take any animal uh, out of their... Uh, you know, speaking very, you know, biologically out of their environment, they will die. <laughs> I mean, well, and, just... but 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 we we both know this, and the and our listeners do too, that uh, we are utterly the most. When do animals start walking? Right, right away. after birth. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I wish my one year old would start walking, <laughs> having to take, carry two babies yeah, that's around. That's right. That's right. It's a little weightlifting. Exactly. You gotta you gotta put them in different yeah. arms. Just and to... you know, whenever you bring a new baby home, the one the youngest all of a sudden grew overnight, and it's like, how did you get so big? That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, and I I think we're we're invited today, as we have been in all times, to be a sign of contradiction in a world and. Uh, we're, re- we're recording this on Wednesday of the fifth week of Easter, and uh, today in the Office of Readings was uh, a, a letter uh, to Diognetus. And I just want to share a little bit. Uh, it, it's, it's really worth reading in toto. And uh, he writes, uh, or the, the, the writer says this, Christians are indistinguishable from other men, either by nationality, language, or customs. And that goes right back to the anthropology that we've got, we've got human dignity and, and we, are, um, we are not a particular nationality. Uh, they do not inhabit separate cities of their own. We're in the midst of others. Or 
speak a strange dialect or follow some outlandish way of life. Their teaching is not based upon reveries inspired by the curiosity of men. Unlike some other people, they champion no purely human doctrine. With regard to dress, food, and manner of life in general, they follow the customs of whatever city they happen to be living in, whether it is Greek or foreign. And yet there is something extraordinary about their lives. They live in their own countries as though they were only passing through. That's that sense of our true home is heaven and we're pilgrims here. And that's why uh, proper patriotism is good, but nationalism can be problematic, mm-hmm. right? We need to hold heaven as our true home. They play their full role as citizens, but labor under all the disabilities of aliens. Any country can be their homeland, but for them, their homeland, wherever it may be, is a foreign country. Like others, they marry and have children, but they do not expose them. And they're talking about exposing them to death, mm-hmm. basically infanticide. They share their meals, but not their wives. They live in the flesh, but they are not governed by desires of the flesh. Later on, he talks about the fact that we are like the soul to the body. So for us to just welcome the chance to be a conscience, a soul, lovingly witnessing to the truth, being open to life. I mean, one of the things I thought at one point is, is putting a sign out on, our, uh, uh, out on the street saying, Down syndrome babies are welcome here. Mm-hmm. Which, because of elective abortions mm-hmm. and amniocentesis or whatever the test is, mm-hmm. uh, no, no, we don't, that's... And it's an impoverished view. And you talk about gift. Those Down syndrome babies and boys and girls as they grow, they're, to my experience, have been joyful. Oh, yeah. And the families that have those children love more and better. Sure. So we have a narrow view. This isn't a part of my plan. Well, wait a minute. Maybe the Lord's got a better plan for you. Yeah. And... Yeah, I mean, with with Felicity just being born, when she was when we were first expecting her, the doctors thought that there might be a chance that she was Down syndrome and wanted us to get a test. Um, you know, their purpose was you know that we would want to have an abortion. Yeah. Uh, we we ended up getting the test because we thought if she was Down's, we would want some extra time to prepare for for that, yeah. especially mm-hmm. since we had another baby that was. Yeah. Um, only you know nine months older, um, and uh, or three months older at that point. But um, so we we got the 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 test, um, found out you know she wasn't. But um, you know my experience, I, I've I've been blessed in in past in my life working with um, people with um, developmental disabilities and whatnot, and. And while Downs definitely is a cross uh, for the person and for the the family, um, it's also a source of great joy. And uh, the the people that I have known with Down syndrome have just been people that remind you what life is really all about. That's right. They don't get they, they kind of break you out of your internal cycle of of worry mm-hmm. um, to just kind of focus back on what matters. Yeah. Um, and so God's God you know, brings good out of, of all these different situations. I had a, uh, a priest friend of mine. Um, he was ordained a year after I was. He uh, was ordained, and I think a year older than I was. He, was. he was 44, I was 43. But we went to seminary the same year, and he had been an OBGYN and, and oh. had helped deliver 2,500 babies. Wow. And he told a story uh, about... Uh, getting the results of a test like the one that you had um, with regard to Down syndrome. 
and uh, he came and he just a, a big hearted um, uh, then doctor now priest uh, he's still a doctor I guess but uh, uh, he's a spiritual doctor mm-hmm. um, but he he it was obvious that it was difficult for him to share the news with her. And the mother of the baby, and I think the father was there as well, said, don't worry, Dr. Roberts, we'll love the baby. That's all we know how to do. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, uh, this is the, the sadness that I have about the push to unseat all of the things that are traditional, which is the nuclear family. And that sense of a father and a mother brothers and sisters, ideally, right? Some fathers, mothers die or they, there's a divorce, mm-hmm. but we need a mother and a father. Yeah. And in that context of love, especially extended through extended family and also communities of faith like our own, we can support each other yeah. in that way. And we need to help those who don't have that support. People were drawn to the Christians in the first centuries because of the way that we valued women mm-hmm. and that we loved one another. Mm-hmm. They shall know you are Christians by your love. That is what the Lord wants for us. And we need to love our enemies. And so we've got a lot of politicians, even Catholic po- politicians who claim that they are pro-choice. Uh, they're, they're, they're confused. And some of them are, um, I think, in danger spiritually. And I, I pray for them to, to repent. I won't name any names. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it is it's very troubling. But we've got to not hate our enemies, but to love them. Yeah. Yeah, the joyful, the, the, the ideal thing would be to love people into the church um, rather than getting into these battles that drive people away. So uh, I think that's probably... Um, we could talk about this for a long time, but... We could, we could. <laughs> and um, I think everybody who is listening, if they're still listening, would be glad that we finished. Exactly. So I would just remind people that if if Rove, we don't know, maybe by the time you hear this, it'll be already over, to, you know, the, the decision will come. But um, either way, this is the beginning of, this is the end of the beginning, not the beginning of the end. And yeah, we I mean, need we, to keep... just, just briefly, you know, talk a little bit about uh, the... The, the governor, our governor, has said that that she's going to fight like hell uh, uh, to overturn that. I think 1931 law mm-hmm. that that banned all abortions. And uh, Bishop, I think, famously said, uh, "We're going to fight like heaven." Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's right. Uh, we don't have to to shy away from speaking the truth, but we should do so always with love. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I would definitely celebrate. The day that Roe v. Wade well, gets overturned. And, and like every bad precedent when it yeah. goes away. So, so be we, like the Death Star getting blown up. Well, and, <laughs> and, and I also think good, good for our founding fathers. Federalism is genius. Mm-hmm. It's inspired mm-hmm. because it allows the minority to retain some say. Yeah, in a pure democracy, we would be in trouble as a nation, and as a world. Yeah. All, All right. right. We could talk about that for a yeah. long time. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, for another week, uh, this is Rich. And Father Steve. And God bless. Have a great week. As we go through this life and attempt to remain faithful to the Lord, we encounter a number of obstacles. One of those obstacles is temptation to sin. And the following reflection from Sean O'Neill 
we consider how we can identify temptations when they arise and how we can resist them using the power of the Holy Spirit. Overcoming Temptation The fact that Jesus became a man and died to save us from ultimate destruction means that we have become free of our bondage to sin and are no longer destined for hell. It's true that Jesus has won us for himself, and yet the enemy of our souls, the devil, still wants us back. He isn't done yet, and he will use every means at his disposal to tempt us back into sin, embed that sin in our lives as an immovable obstacle, and finally lead us by a broad and straight path to damnation. The devil has a wealth of tools and tricks that he can employ to ensnare us. For a start, he surrounds us with a world that is constantly trying to weaken our resolve with gaudy attractions, false comforts and the lures of the love of money, power and sexual sin. He sets up the mirage that the world will make us happy if we conform ourselves to its ways. And there is something in us that responds to those temptations, the flesh. The flesh, as St. Paul describes it, is that urge within us to run after illicit pleasures and to seek instant gratification for our every craving. Even though as Christians we know that certain thoughts and actions will lead us into sin, there is still something within us that draws us to fulfil the wants and needs that arise in us constantly. St. Paul describes this dynamic in his letter to the Romans, chapter 7. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. The world and the flesh are constantly fighting against the good intentions that we have because of our relationship with God. One of them, the world, buffets us from outside. The other, the flesh, gnaws away at us from within. But there is a third way that our enemy attacks us, and that is through directly tempting us to evil thoughts and actions. His main weapons are lies. He tempts us to believe lies about ourselves, about other people, and about God himself. He tempts us by telling us that if we do certain evil deeds, avoid doing good, indulge in certain behaviours, say certain evil things, think wicked thoughts, or refuse to love, then somehow we will feel better, even if it's only in the short term. You know the routine. We make judgments of our fellow human beings either because we feel superior to them or out of self-protection. When we feel superior, it seems to enhance our self-esteem. When we attack other people or gossip about someone who is attacking us or has hurt us, it makes us feel less threatened. When we choose to view pornography, we naively believe that we can somehow take away the longing that we feel in our hearts for fulfilment. Either that or we feel that the short-term and fleeting pleasure it gives us 
will somehow satisfy us in our loneliness, our depression or our anxiety. One very cunning ploy of the devil is to try to convince us that temptations are sins. But the reality is that when we are tempted to think ill of someone or indulge in lustful thoughts, we are presented with a choice. It is only if we give in to those thoughts, follow them through and dwell on them that we commit a sin. If we choose instead to reject the thought, then we have avoided sinning, no matter how strong the temptation was. Of course, resisting temptation can be difficult if we are not on guard to avoid situations in which we are likely to be tempted. Near occasions of sin, as they are called, can occur when we put ourselves in a situation that we know is liable to present us with the opportunities to sin. We might find ourselves in near occasions of sin by gossiping if we keep company with people who gossip. In those sorts of situations, it's easy to become negative about others, to gripe about their actions or their appearance, or spread rumours about their alleged misdeeds. So in order to combat those sorts of occasions of sin, it's better to avoid people who will lead you into temptation. Similarly, if I find that I'm constantly tempted to view pornography on the internet, it's worth taking steps to remove occasions of sin from my life by limiting my access to tempting web pages, by curtailing the amount of time I spend surfing, and by making myself accountable to someone who can help me to overcome the temptation. Another way of resisting temptations is to develop a habit of self-awareness so that we can recognise when we are being tempted much earlier rather than just drifting into sinful ways or near occasions of sin. The unfortunate thing about temptation and sin is that if we sin frequently in a particular area, then it can become like a stronghold in our lives. Sinful behaviour or thoughts can become difficult to break because they are like an addiction. We need divine help to empower us to come against sinful patterns. And that's as it should be. The Christian life was never meant to be undertaken through sheer willpower. We are, in fact, supposed to use the power of the Holy Spirit that we received in baptism to come against the sin in our lives. So calling on that power when we are undergoing some temptation is a really good idea. But the spiritual life is not all negative. The purpose of this way of life is not just to wage war on the world, the flesh and the devil. The entire aim of the Christian life is love, love of God and love of our neighbour. The whole reason that we should avoid occasions of sin and resist temptation when it comes along is because we love Jesus Christ. When we have encountered Jesus at a deep level and come to realise how precious we are to him, it gives us ample reason to choose him rather than conforming to the ways of the world, giving in to our passions or listening to the lies of the enemy. When Jesus becomes our intimate friend, the source of our joy, the only one who can satisfy the hunger within us, then it makes this veil of tears bearable 
and it is a veil of tears. No matter how much pleasure and enjoyment we can get from the world, we know that we are destined for another place, heaven. In a very real sense, this life is a waiting room. And when we realise that we might forfeit or delay the delights of heaven and our final encounter with the love of Jesus through our sinful actions and thoughts, that gives us the incentive we need to cling to the virtuous life and avoid the life of sin that binds us with its soft, false, vanishing amusements and its secret vices. Let's ask God for the grace to choose him and to resist the lure of the enemy. Lord Jesus, you came that we might have life and have it to the full. May we do nothing that thwarts your attempts to draw us ever deeper into your heart of love and into the life of love of your beloved sons and daughters. Give us the grace to resist the attack of the enemy, to avoid occasions in which we know we will be tempted, and to choose the life of virtue out of love for you. Help us to seek only what is holy, to see the good in other people, to renounce the lies that are fed to us by the evil one, and to hold fast to your truth that salvation is found only in you. Amen. We finish this episode with a poem by John James. Silence. Hi, I'm John James. Um, I'm going to read a poem today. Uh, This is a free verse poem, so if you've heard me read before, sometimes I do free verse and sometimes I do formal poetry. Uh, This one's one I wrote recently. A little context, I was recently diagnosed with ADHD and uh, explained a lot of things about my life. Uh, But it also caused me to wonder a little bit about my faith journey and how prayer works for someone with ADHD. So it's something I've been contemplating a lot, and that is what this poem is about. Silence. I wish I could pray like Blessed Imelda, kneeling in an empty sanctuary filled with love for God, while the hours pass by unnoticed. But that is not me. Saint Kevin prayed so still that a blackbird laid her eggs in his outstretched hand. I can't help but fidget during even a short litany. Am I wonderfully made, or did I make myself this way? What's the path to sainthood for a man who bites his nails, who finds a holy hour torture? Who is the patron saint of men with racing thoughts and noisy kids, men who turn away from the very presence of God to see who just came in the door, men who want to be holy but know they cannot walk the only paths they see? If the voice of God is still and small, will I ever learn to hear it? We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Resurrection Life Podcast. Please tune in next time for more conversation, reflections, and Catholic culture. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to drop us a line to give us feedback or suggest future topics to feature, write us at podcast at corelancing.org. You can find the Church of the Resurrection online at corelancing.org. Thanks for listening, and God bless. God bless.